welcome back to Cow's Internal Monologue. So in this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 5 episode, The Wheel of Fire. So this is the subtitle of the season, as explained, you know, four times before. Uh, you know, each season had a subtitle, and that, uh, that specific episode, or that specific title would appear as the name of an episode uh, in the season, and that episode kind of encompassed uh, ma either major points of the season or major plot points or what have you here uh it's about endings uh you know wheel of fire uh that uh life just keeps on turning uh and we can't stop it we got to keep moving forward as lee says there's no normal life there is just life uh so pretty much this is where the point in babylon 5 i call the epilogue uh, the next, uh, this episode and the next two episodes are, you know, the epilogue, everybody leaving, going their own way. Uh, some plot lines, uh, you know, ending, uh, character arcs ending, others furthering, set up for future of this universe. And then the final episode is, of course, the final end. Uh, and we can really see everything coming to a head uh, as far as uh, endings are, is Garibaldi's confronted with, uh, you know, his alcoholism on multiple levels. Uh, Lita is being dealt with. Jakar is trying to figure out where he stands with his people now. Everything is just coming around and around and around until now, where uh, people can finally leave of their own accord. Uh, so the Jakar stuff is interesting because... Essentially, everything he feared and he told Talon that he was scared of came true. That the Narn took his book and instead of understanding it, because as I said, there's big old idiots throughout this entire world, uh, they saw the name Jakar and they worshipped that name. Jakar became a figurehead. Uh, as Jakar puts it, you know, it's easier to create a statue to someone that you believe embodies everything you wish to be and hope to be, rather than make any improvements on yourself. It allows you to not think. Uh, and so that is one, and what has happened, and Jakar is abhorred by it. Like, this is, uh, this is not what he wanted. This is not what he wanted to teach. Uh, and he's trying to figure out what to, what to do with it. The Narn want him to come back and be their great, glorious leader. A title that he turned down last season uh, others just want him to continue teaching his word but they don't care about the words he says they just care that he's there uh and so he realizes he's gotta go especially with uh the talk he has with franklin which is a great scene uh you know uh looking back at that phrase of you know uh is it can god create a rock so massive that he can't lift it that essentially uh that uh, our befuddlement with our life uh, is the befuddlement that God fills with us that basically we are an enigma we are a puzzle and we were created by God to figure out the answer but the answer is unknowable and so we trying to figure out our lives is you know unknowable to us as well it's a little bit of him doing to us what we do to him and it's just it's a nice circle of Jakar realizing, yeah, I gotta go. I got to re, re, re find myself in a new place. 
I want to explore and my people need to be away from me for a sufficient time so they no longer worship my every footstep and instead of appreciate what I said. Uh, and there's no way uh, better than to get people to appreciate who and what you are than to leave them and have them remember you. Uh, and of course that all leads into the stuff with Lita uh, with, because they, you know, and when Lita... Lita's situation, uh, you know, there's no good answer to this. They just need her off the station. Uh, and Drakkar offers to take her with him because she is bitter, she is angry. Everything he was, he learned valuable lessons. And maybe she, unlike his people, will actually listen to his words about growing and changing and becoming a better person. Speaking of Lita... Trying to deal with, uh, uh, with with Lita is is interesting because essentially, she uh, be, she has created the the slag uh, the slogan you know remember Byron so it's really easy to track her down, uh, and the there there's this feeling of tension uh, that the telepath war is on the horizon and unlike what everybody said where it was going to be telepath versus mundanes, it's going to be telepaths versus telepaths, and uh the mundanes are just going to get caught in the crossfire uh, as two different ver visions of what a telepath should be come into conflict with each other. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Lita being arrested is quite interesting seeing because Zach just wants to deal with her in the polite way possible. Obviously, he cares about her still. But she makes a performance out of it. She well, actively ignores consent and mind controls everybody in that uh, the, in the place, so the Zocalo, to you know start you know drumming their fingers or smacking their hand against the table, all as a sign of this is how much power I have. You can't touch me. You can't do anything. And essentially, Lita has officially, in my opinion, become the villain of her own story, in a way that I can't begrudge her. She is fed up. She's angry. Everything that has happened to her has been miserable and horrible. You know, she was, you know, taken by the core, abused by the core, let go by the core, uh, uh, found uh, found the, uh, the, the Vorlons, uh, taken by the Vorlons, abused by the Vorlons, thrown, thrown to the wayside by the Vorlons, fought in the Shadow War, was not compensated a single bit, and mistreated multiple times by people she thought were her friends, uh, found someone she truly loved, watched him commit suicide for his very ideals, and she has effectively been radicalized, abused, and is full of anger and bile and hatred, and that is a ball that is, of course, going to turn someone towards uh, acting very, very uh, villainous is not exactly the right word, but it's close enough. You can understand why she is the way she is and why she's doing what she's doing, but it doesn't excuse the behavior. It's wrong behavior, uh, but she's been backed into a corner. When you back up animal in the corner, they get aggressive. Uh, so it's only natural that she went to this place, and it's sad and it's horrible, but that is what's going on. I like how Sheridan, you know, takes her down and goes, you're not the only one that's been touched by Vorlands. You're not special. You feel like you're special. 
because you know, as she says, you know, uh, you know, I'm the, the the most powerful telepath alive. You know, even Garibaldi says that you know, someone of that magnitude must be the uh, a telepathic equivalent to a thermonuclear uh, bomb. And so, uh, her being confronted by Sheridan, she realizes, oh, I'm not the only one the Vorlons chose. I'm not this, you know, massive important person. Yes, I'm still angry, but it tempers her anger in a way. Uh, and it allows her to, uh, so, so it sort of gives her a new vision because, uh, as she points out to Garibaldi when he comes to talk to her, is that it's clear that her skill set isn't aligned towards uh, doing this kind of guerrilla warfare. She doesn't have the necessary means. It was so easy for them to track her down and immediately try and arrest her and deal with her. So she needs a easier way around this. She still wants her revenge. But she wants it in a way that she acknowledges she is not perfect. Uh, and Garibaldi is really the star of this episode. Every single scene is just wonderful. He's finally called out by his friends by uh, you know, for his drinking. And I like how Sheridan handles it. At first he's angry. He talks to the Len. And then he's no longer angry. And he comes and talks to Garibaldi. And Garibaldi is ready for a fight. He's gearing for a fight. He's like, come on, fire me, yell at me, something. Sheridan says, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Disappointed in myself for not seeing it quick enough. Uh, you know, it, it is having been friends with addicts and having friends of friends who are addicts and watching my friends struggle with that. Uh, you can see your friend going down a downward spiral, but you're not sure if you're right. You often second-guess yourself. You're worrying, but you you pray to God that it is not the case. And so you throw everything by the wayside and hope it will just get better. And when it doesn't, your worst fears come to realize, uh, realization, and you feel a mix of emotions, one of which being anger. But if you can put the anger aside, what you're filled with more is disappointment in not only yourself and your inability to see it, but disappointment that your friend was not willing to come to you and talk about their problems. And that scene between Garibaldi and Sheridan is really good. And I, I like how Sheridan's just, you know, you're not fired, but you are... Uh, you know, hurting your position, hurting your job by doing this, and hurting yourself, and hurting your your family, and hurting your friends. You gotta find yourself before I can let you back in. So he suspends him, and it essentially is a wake up call to Garibaldi. But he's not sure what to do about it until Lockley comes storming in. This is the cream of the crop of this episode. Uh, Lockley talking to Garibaldi is perfect because she's an addict. She, you know, she's a, uh, she says she's an alcoholic, and, and we know that she had a drug problem before, and her father was an alcoholic. She knows exactly where he's been and how he feels, and he feeds off anger, and he feeds off control, because that anger and that control allows him to push everybody away, meaning they can't help him, and that's the, that's the thing that people uh, who are addicts want to do is they want to push you as far away from them as possible so that because they know you can see it and they know you, you can help but they don't want to be helped so Lockley keeps pushing you know when Garibaldi leaves she follows uh, you know uh, when he turns on the elevator she stops the elevator she is there to talk to him 
and he's going to listen. By golly, he's going to listen because she's been right there where he's at the entire time. And he has a big blow up of you can't possibly understand. And that's the thing. I've encountered this sentiment before. Uh, we as humans think our feelings are unique and personal. And to some extent, that is. Because we are all unique human beings. But certain trials and tribulations we experience in our life is not unique. Pain and suffering is not just you. Everybody endures it. There is no normal life. There is just life. And so, uh, you know, uh, Lockley proves it over her speech to him. I know exactly where you've been. I am you. And this is what I'm saying, that Lockley's best moments in this show, because she had the coming in season five and is not subject to the uh, to the greatest character development that, that all the other characters have been through, the connection between her and Garibaldi was always strong from the outset. And I always felt, even before I knew where I was going, that there that there was a parallel between them. And now that and I brought this up before, uh, you know, that I believe that they are mirrors of each other in certain ways. And this really cements that fact that they are, uh, in many ways, uh, the same self-destructive person, the same people who are trying to make amends for. Their, their their shortcomings and their self-destructive tendencies and in some cases succeeding in some cases failing and she acknowledges that Garibaldi perhaps is not best for this job someone of his self-destructive tendencies is not ready for this and maybe his life is too cushing too clean now that now that he's got a woman that loves him that he doesn't feel like he's worthy so she tells him you know get your life in order make the life you want to live from now on and she has called in, uh, you know, Lise to come back uh, so that he can see up close and personal what he really wants. He wants Lise. That's all he ever really wanted. After that, nothing else really mattered. So as long as he can spend the rest of his life with Lise, maybe things can get a little better. So she forces him to confront what his life needs and should be. It says, make your decision. Just like my dad wanted the paint, but felt obligated to join the army because that's what he was told to do and what was expected of him. That destroyed him slowly but surely. So don't stick around here on Babylon 5 and be an ISA, you know, intelligence officer. That's not what you want. Follow the calling of your heart. If the calling of your heart is just to have the love of your life there, that's fine. Make a life out of that. But don't destroy yourself and beat yourself up over the fact that you can't have the life you want simply because you're you're expected to do other things. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And then, of course, him coming to uh, Lita, uh, I like how he's trying to work his way around the uh, the block that Bester put in because he, he's trying to wrangle back some control. And I like how Lita even says, I can't cure an addiction. There's nothing I can do there. And so, you know, he he's sitting there like, if you can remove the block from me, I can help fund you. Uh, I can uh, I can some way help you with your campaign against the Psychor. Two birds, one stone. And she goes, no, no, no. What you're going to do is you're going to build me an army. You're going to get all these connections, all these weapons, everything you can get me. So when I come back, you have a large enough force I can take to the core and crush them. And I will hand you Bester on a silver platter if necessary. You're going to help me. And only then, only then, will I remove the block from you. Uh, it shows how far she's fallen and how far 
uh, Garibaldi is willing to go to wrangle some sort of control back so he can get back on the wagon and clear up his, you know, life to be back with Lise. Uh, and so he willingly does this. And we see that he perhaps maybe regrets it. Uh, you know, he's not for sure about it. It, it. Her kind of power level and her zealotry scares him. But it's the only hope he's got for gaining control back. It may be maybe making the life he wants again. And of course, the, the revelation that uh, that uh, Delenn is pregnant, of course, we always knew that David was going to be born at some point. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, expected that it would be the last couple of episodes that it, it would be revealed she's pregnant because, you know, that's that's forthcoming. Uh, but I, I think it's handled really hilariously in a way uh, with her fainting and, and being hysterical at that moment. And, you know, the next person that comes in here being all hysterical, I'm going to shoot myself in the head, you know. Uh, and, uh, and I like how the, the, the issues of interspecies pregnancy is addressed. Like, this is unknown territory. She changed her biology, so she is part human, part Mimbari, you know, and then shared it's full human. So they're going to have a baby that is one-third, at least, you know, Mimbari, and there's, you know, tricks. That's a tricky thing indeed, because no one's ever seen it. One would assume it happened with Sinclair when he turned himself into Valen, and of course his bloodline was passed down, as we well know, because, well, uh, Delenn is uh, a descendant of Sinclair, therefore, you know, uh, at least somewhere in there, before the Chrysalis, she was in some way human. But uh, this is not something that was ever, you know, covered because it was not, uh, you, you know, it, it was not public knowledge that Sinclair, a.k.a. Valen, was human. So this is uncharted waters and it's going to be difficult. And uh, I like how Babylon 5, as kooky as it can be, as dark as it can be, it also you know, does the little things to make you believe in this in this world that you know, a human and alien find each other and have a child isn't an easy thing. There's no guarantee that will work. Interspecies breeding is hard and arduous and at many times impossible. So this is really the beginning of the epilogue, uh, the beginning of the end, if you will, even though the beginning of the end uh, happened just prior. Uh, uh, you know, back, I would say on the, around the ragged edge, I think is when I said it. Uh, but this is the beginning of the epilogue. So the beginning of the end of the beginning of the end. Does that make any sense? I guess not. It only makes sense to me. Uh, but, uh, I, I love this about this show is that it's willing to give its characters time to move on and allow things to begin while things are ending because that's the way life works. Um, and this show many times is reflective of not only real life experiences but of a real breathing world and that's what I love in my fiction is characters I can believe in a world I can believe in and allegories to my real life that make me think uh, and make me evaluate where I am and my surroundings um, it's gonna be sad when I say goodbye to Babylon 5 in a couple episodes time, but then we'll move on to Witcher. I'll see you later. Bye.